2020 seemed to start out as all years do, with a celebration and an ushering in of the new year. But as parties raged around the world, the Chinese government issued an alert to the World Health Organization. They warned of a new illness spreading through the city of Wuhan. Patients exhibited a mysterious fever, dry cough, and pneumonia. Shortly after, some died. The source was a new virus named COVID-19. Tonight, the CDC says the infected passenger passed through busy SeaTac Airport in Seattle. The number of victims expected to triple within weeks. Despite government and as new cases emerge, quarantines expand, and the disease spreads to North America, the consequences are multiplying. The virus moved fast. And within days, the race for personal protective equipment, viral and antibody tests, treatment, and vaccines was on. It was a race for innovation, discovery, and invention that's still being run. Sprinted, actually. It's June of 2020, and the entire world is operating under a state of emergency. We had a very different first episode planned for this season of Stroke of Genius. But the current state of emergency demands that we address the most pressing issues and questions facing the world of intellectual property today. What role do patents play in a pandemic? What have we learned from the past that we're using today in the battle against COVID-19? How will the intellectual property system help us get through this crisis? How can we prepare for the future? Those drugs would not have existed but for a patent system which justifies their discovery and development. There are thousands, literally thousands of compounds tested to see if we cannot prevent COVID-19. We have been so fortunate that these companies have actually reached out to us and started asking how we can collaborate with them. From the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation, this is Stroke of Genius. We're all trying to solve this problem. We're all coming together here, and the patent system is doing exactly what it should be doing, which is permitting us to then decide we're all going to share our ideas and make sure we get the best uh, opportunities for patients out there. Henry Haddad is Senior Vice President of Innovation Law at Bristol-Myers Squibb. He's the chief IP counsel and chief counsel to research and development. I've seen our company and frankly, almost everyone I know in the industry, all the other companies, working together very closely and collaborating to try to find a solution to this uh, really terrible situation. Henry says that the IP system is instrumental in almost every piece of fighting this pandemic. Diagnostics, vaccines, antivirals, and therapeutics, which impact the immune response to COVID-19. So those four threads are areas that both individual companies and consortia of companies are looking at to make sure that we are exploring every possible way we can approach this disease to either eliminate it or at least reduce the, the more drastic symptoms of it. There's a data aspect to it which the high-tech industry could help. There's a diagnostics and medical imaging that, that, that's going to be helped by those companies. And there's a, a, a therapeutic aspect and vaccine aspect that's going to help from the life sciences. Even, and maybe especially in the midst of this pandemic, Henry is known as an intellectual property evangelist. He says two parts of the IP process have been really, really important to the response of this pandemic. 
The first one has to do with the investment that's already been made in potential solutions. But for the, the IP system, you would not have investment in the next generation of drugs, which you, your family, your friends may be patients for. Uh, that to me is a very important point that I think often gets lost on people because they're living very much in the here and now and not in a system which basically is compensating you to make that next generation of investment going forward. Yeah, there's another piece uh, to the patent system, which I think people often forget, is that there's a quid pro quo there, right? You're going to get a limited period of exclusivity for your uh, product, in our case, a pharmaceutical. Um, but in exchange, you have to do something. You've got to disclose it to the world. It's this part of patents, the quid pro quo, which helps biopharmaceutical companies identify who's working on particular compounds or vaccines. Setting up a system where companies can understand what a potential collaboration might look like. You gotta let people know what it is, how you made it, how to use it, and to be able to teach someone who's skilled in that area to reproduce those experiments. And by doing so, you're building this incredible treasure trove of knowledge which people are building upon. There are organizations out there, big organizations, that will scan the patent literature and create libraries of drugs based on what's out there in the patent literature that they would have no idea about. Henry says both the previous investment into the IP system and the quid pro quo that has come from these investments have shaped the biopharmaceutical industry's response to COVID-19. Many of the greatest industries in this country, and frankly, globally, are reliant on intellectual property to drive innovation. And that's most acutely true in the biopharmaceutical space, where it can take a dozen years, 15 years maybe, billions of dollars, hundreds of people hours, thousands of people hours, excuse me, uh, to come up with a new drug. And then most often, they fail along the way. So you can invest these billions and you could have a failure uh, early, either early on, later on, or even on the cusp of approval. So without a meaningful period of exclusivity, without a runway of exclusivity before drugs uh, become more widely available, there's no way to recoup those expenses and then drive both the recoupment and any profits back into the next generation of R&D. Our companies have the highest proportion of R&D spend to revenue of any industry. And that's reflective of how important the R&D uh, piece is to the future therapies that we, we, we are gonna have, hopefully. So taking this and applying this to COVID, many of the things that companies are looking at today relate to, to, to products, pipeline products, or existing products, frankly, which were developed for different purposes. Those drugs would not have existed but for a patent system which justifies their discovery and development. So without a patent system, we frankly would not have drugs to look at in the first place. While there's a race to get the right drugs to patients suffering from this virus, those on the front lines caring for patients are in serious need of protection. One of the largest efforts during this pandemic has been to properly outfit medical workers so they can help patients survive. We are uniting with governments and distribution partners around the world to expedite respirators to healthcare workers. This is In Florzak. In started as a summer intern 20 years ago 
and now she's chief IP counsel for the entire 3M company. The N95 respirators that 3M makes are special. Unlike a conventional surgical mask, they're made up so that 95% of very small airborne particles can't get through. Approved by the CDC and the FDA, these patented masks have gone through a long review process. And they were important not so long ago, during another virus outbreak. The outbreak of SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, is a chilling reminder of our frailty in the face of So after the SARS outbreak in the early 2000s, our leadership team made the decision to prepare for a future crisis. They invested in surge capacity, which means buying additional manufacturing equipment, and then we put that surge capacity in each of our respirator plants around the world. Once COVID-19 hit, 3M threw that surge capacity into effect right away they were able to make some big supply changes too. We immediately redirected a majority of the global respirator output to healthcare, which was a smaller volume of our business before the pandemic. And now we have devoted more than 90% of respirator volume to the healthcare professionals, the nurses, the doctors, and the first responders who are working with patients who may be COVID-19 positive. 3M was diverting their current supply chain and using that surge capacity to go into high gear on production. But the world was in a panic. Demand had spiked for the N95 masks. And that demand was much higher than the entire industry's ability to supply. During this time, 3M started to notice something was amiss. For medical supply company DealMed, this is part of a new reality at their New Jersey distribution center. They have also added armed security outside. At DealMed, staff are also working extra hours. Three new team members have been hired, and they're starting to feel the pressure. It's a terrible situation right now, what's going on right now. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, we have healthcare workers that are going to run out of face masks. That's a terrifying situation to be in. Simply put, we collaborate really closely with the partners, and we pick our distributors. So we know who our distributors are, and we work very closely with our distributors to ensure that the supply chains are secure. 3M was getting news their masks were being sold by distributors they weren't familiar with. Those distributors were selling supposed 3M masks at nearly 10 times the market price. We don't sell individual respirators, for example. We typically sell in packages of multiple respirators. And, you know, we publish our current pricing for a single N95 respirator. In the U.S., that price ranges from less than a dollar to a little over $3, depending on the respirator type and model number. So if you're buying a respirator for $10 that we have listed for about a buck and a quarter, you know something is up. The patented designs for N95 masks ensures they're built so that they seal tightly around your mouth and nose, unlike surgical or cloth masks, which are loose-fitting. There were a lot of counterfeit 3M masks hitting the market that weren't the 3M design putting millions of people at risk with ineffective and unsafe products. At least one shipment of these counterfeit masks made it to the front lines before 3M was alerted and stepped in. An investigation widening tonight after fake masks meant to capitalize on the pandemic are intercepted at our international airport. The Cincinnati U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency found more than 2,000 fake 3M masks, obviously a trademark violation. We're fighting fraud and price gouging. First and foremost, we are working with distributors and governments to ensure a secure supply chain. 3M has publicly said numerous times that we have not increased our respirator prices. 
And as I said, we actually publish the prices on our website to make sure customers and end users know what the pricing is. Ann and her team have been busy keeping the supply chain secure. By fighting counterfeit, 3M is continuing to make sure consumers are getting safe products. And in the meantime, 3M continues production at breakneck pace. From the beginning of this year, in January until the end of this year, we will have quadrupled our capacity to make these N95 respirators to meet the need for healthcare workers to fight the pandemic. In will be the first to tell you, even with the foresight to have surge capacity, 3M could not have ramped up their production on their own. We have been so fortunate that these companies have actually reached out to us and started asking how, they, how we can collaborate with them. They've partnered with more than a few companies. Companies to help them figure out how to sterilize their respirators so that they can get used again. And companies to help them make the important parts for their respirators. We have a partnership with Ford Motor Company to produce power air purifying respirators. You know, at 3M, we make abbreviations for everything and we call these PAPRs. And what a PAPR is, it's an important piece of personal protective equipment. And they're mainly intended to be used by frontline healthcare workers. Just like Ford is helping 3M make PAPRs, collaboration between companies is happening worldwide. Yeah, we're seeing lots of examples and in, in people you know, can read about many of them in, in the news. The ones that I find interesting are the collaborations across industry, you know, where someone like our company or General Motors from the automotive industry will be partnering with someone who has a, a foothold in the uh, medical device and personal protective equipment. That's John Cheek. He's the Chief Intellectual Property Counsel for Tenneco. So normally we make automotive parts related to internal combustion engines, exhaust and emissions controls, ride performance technology, so suspension of the vehicle, as well as a lot of aftermarket parts or servicing vehicles after they've been sold. You know, as we think about the, the capabilities that a company has, you know, we have competencies and, and there are things that we make, but those competencies can be used to, to make other things. By rethinking their production lines, these days Tenneco is making parts for the ventilators used by a number of the people who are hospitalized with COVID-19. Through an effort dubbed Project V, General Motors is accelerating a plan to build new ventilators for hospitals. We worked with General Motors as one of uh, their largest suppliers, so we have now begun using some of our capability from our electrical wiring uh, business, particularly in the lighting part of our business, to produce wiring harnesses and fan assemblies for the ventilators that General Motors is making today. Tenneco was able to make this manufacturing pivot quickly. Now, certainly in the automotive space, we tend to have long lead times on product development, you know, two, three, or even four years to get everything in place. Here, the the components uh, were not especially complicated, uh, and we had the expertise in our factories. And so we were able to quickly, in less than a week, get a new uh, assembly line up and running to produce the parts that General Motors needed to then make the ventilators. For a company to be able to do this, John credits the workers at his company and Tenneco's intellectual property. It's that that kind of pool of knowledge that lives with our people and in our process rigor, you know, often in the form of trade secrets that gives companies the foundation to, to be able to pivot quickly. 
because we have good documented processes. We know how to, to make things of the type that were needed in this case. Intellectual property allows companies to understand how they can collaborate with other companies. And this crisis time collaboration between seemingly unlike industries has a lot of companies rethinking the IP they have. What products do they make that can be more versatile and useful during this time? If car parts can be used to make ventilators, what else is possible? We have the uh, situation in our industry now where a lot of the factories are not allowed to operate, particularly on the original equipment side of our business with the auto manufacturers having their plants closed, which gives us all some capacity and time to think about how to redeploy those competencies we have because we have great manufacturing across the industry. And when the tools and the people and the creativity become available, that gives us a chance to go out uh, and do something different and help in a way that we might not otherwise be able to. Somber mood on opening in Wall Street as markets around the world tanked. The first quarter of 2020 ended today, and it was the worst first quarter ever on the Dow. California has been placed into lockdown, putting around 40 million people into isolation. As companies and businesses remained closed amidst virus fears, every biopharmaceutical company and lab in the world was spending day and night combing through their databases of IP in search of some sort of cure. It's hoped a vaccine will be available within 18 months soonest, and more money will be needed to make it accessible in developing countries who will also need it to prevent... There are more than 40 vaccine candidates being developed currently, according to the WHO. The NIH has been collaborating with a number of pharmaceutical companies at various stages of development. After what seemed like years, but was only a few months, Johnson & Johnson announced in early April that they had a leading candidate for a vaccine with two backup candidates in mind. On an incredibly accelerated timeline, they're hoping to start human trials towards the end of the fall. When everyone heard this, the world dared to hope. We have some breaking news that's just crossing the tape that we want to bring our viewers, um, and it is good news uh, this morning. Johnson & Johnson, uh, after working on a COVID-19 vaccine since January, the company has now identified a so-called lead candidate this would be a treatment with enough potential to warrant... There are thousands, literally thousands of compounds and biologics being tested to see if we cannot, uh, you know, if we can help prevent COVID-19 from causing the damage that it is causing. And so that field of therapeutics has been, is really the, the, the well that we're going to, to pull, uh, you know, uh, opportunities to solve the problem. This is Robert DeBerradine. He's the chief IP counsel at Johnson & Johnson. I have a fantastic team. They're really doing all the hard work. They meet with the scientists. They understand the technology. They work hand in hand trying to ensure that we understand the legal challenges that we're facing as we try to come up with solutions to problems. And they also ensure that we are protecting our intellectual property as we develop it. So truly my day is um, around working with this wonderful team that I have, a very, very talented people who are uh, protecting J&J's interest and the interest of, of um, you know, the patients out there because it's, it's this intellectual property 
that is really uh, creating opportunity for J&J to invest, to innovate, and to bring new products to the marketplace. While healthcare workers are fighting on the front lines, the biopharmaceutical industry has been trying to attack the virus itself. And generally speaking, there are three key areas of responding to a virus. The first is a vaccine. This is a, this is a treatment that encourages a person's own immune system to find and kill the virus. But a second way of responding to a virus is by developing treatments that directly attack the virus. So instead of using the immune system to attack the virus, you use the treatment itself to attack the virus. And there are two flavors of those, those treatments that actually try to kill the virus itself. And there are those treatments that try to stop the virus from replicating. In other words, it doesn't necessarily kill the virus, but it stops the the virus from duplicating. And that, of course, creates much less of a burden on the body and allows the body to deal with it um, better and safer for the individual. And then, and then there's and then there's a third area, which is really not attacking the virus itself, because you know the problem with COVID nineteen is this respiratory distress that people are having. But what is happening is, is the virus is getting into the lungs, and then you have an immune response. So there are a lot of drugs already available that try to modulate that immune response. And, and we're testing and hoping that those therapeutics might modulate the immune response of the person so that when the body does recognize the virus and start attacking, it doesn't do so in such a, a dramatic way so that people don't have that respiratory distress. But Robert says the attack that stops the virus from replicating comes from a war Johnson & Johnson has been waging for a while now. It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. AIDS is now spreading in epidemic proportions to other segments of the population. The other thing we learned about from HIV is good IP policy. Because IP really is what creates these pharmaceuticals. You can't have access to a pharmaceutical if the pharmaceutical doesn't exist. Again, you know, the collaboration that's happening, IP is driving that collaboration, it's driving the universities, it's driving the doctors, it's driving the companies. And so, um, so you have this um, IP development encouragement system that has worked beautifully. But, but again, you don't want um, IP to get in the way of solving big problems either. And of course, so once you have the pharmaceutical, then you want to be wise about how you use that IP. And, um, and in this case, I think the, the lessons that we learned in HIV on how to use IP to assure that there is access to the medicine, that people are developing the medicine safely and effectively, and IP helps with that as well, because when you have IP protection, you can license good manufacturers, you can license reputable people, and you can prevent people who are supposedly providing medicines that aren't safe and effective. So there's a lot of benefits that come from IP. Robert says one of the benefits that come from the IP system is a variety of solutions. What you want is you want not only a, you know, a solution, but you want many solutions because to tell you the truth, people are very different and what works for one person may not work for another person. So the more choice that you have, the more choices that patients have, the more choices that doctors have, 
the better the better off we are because the more choice you have the more likely it is you can help someone we want a whole ecosystem where everyone is contributing and giving uh, people as many choices as they have so uh, we're hoping for an early solution but we're hoping for many solutions and um, and of course we're hoping that we can be part of that um, part of the solution for people that are being challenged by COVID-19. While everyone is doing their best with the current situation and searching for solutions, people are also looking at the current crisis and seeing some obvious issues with the IP system, issues that they feel have contributed to the crisis and chaos. And we begin tonight with a disturbing milestone in this coronavirus pandemic. These New York City paramedics on the front lines warn the fight is far from over. As you've heard from industry experts, the inventions being leveraged in response to COVID-19 were made in large part because of the incentive to invest in innovation, which was created by the IP system. How did we get into this mess in the first place? How did we get into this catastrophe? This is Dave Kapos, former U.S. Patent and Trademark Office director and partner at the law firm Cravath, Swain & Moore. Dave thinks the U.S. could have been even better positioned to respond if diagnostics were eligible for patent protection here. And, and why is it that we're now scrambling to come up with diagnostics? Why didn't we have these things available? Um, why, why weren't we in position to get on top of this more quickly? The Supreme Court said, we don't think diagnostics are worthy of patenting. And so should it be any surprise to us that that investment in diagnostics isn't happening and we don't have diagnostics um, tests to be able to detect um, the coronavirus. I'm not surprised about that. I think it's very unfortunate and it's very sad. But if you step back and honestly ask the question, how did we get into this mess? That's got to be part of it. Um, Our one great engine for incenting long-term innovation, the patent system, has been disabled. It has been um, neutered um, and rendered inoperative and inapplicable to finding diagnostics tests um, that will address the coronavirus. That's how we got in this mess. We should celebrate the great work that that many companies are doing now to address the current pandemic and we should thank them for it and we should celebrate them for it and we should support them in doing it and and in setting you know self-motivation aside and addressing the pandemic on an emergency basis that definitely has to be job one for them and it is and i think that's great and it's the best of the american spirit and again, be you know accurate and honest about saying that the only reason these companies are able to address the problem as fast as they are is because of the IP system, because they had the earlier incentives to create, let's say, in the case of BMS, the candidate library that they can make now make available. So we have the IP system to thank that things aren't even worse than they are, and to thank for enabling the companies that are stepping up to be in a position to step up in the first place. I think we we need to look forward as well and start preparing now for the future, the next 
pandemic or the mutation of this virus or whatever it is, because we know there will be a next one. And if we can fix our IP system and, and get it to champion and support and incent the investment in vaccines and in diagnostics. You want those incentives in place because not every day is going to be an emergency. And we want to have the best diagnostics, the best precision medicine. That's Henry again. He echoes Dave's vision for the future. It's one of building up an arsenal of innovation, products, and processes that will help us combat the next pandemic so that we're even better prepared. Addressing the next pandemic in a much more proactive way, um, in a much better situation, not in a situation where we're asking, like we're asking now, um, you know, where, where could we be if diagnostics were patentable right now, but instead we'll be able to um, celebrate the fact that they became patentable again, investments occurred, um, we were ahead of the next pandemic, we were prepared for it, um, and we didn't have to shut down our economies, and most importantly, we didn't have to see um, so many people um, unfortunately affected. So I, I, you know, I feel optimistic about the future because we learn. You know, a lot of people are trying to solve this problem. A lot of brilliant people, a lot of hardworking people, a lot of dedicated people—not just at J and J, but all over the globe—and um, and all sorts of innovation is going to come out of this. Uh, and so I, I'm not, I'm not, I won't be surprised if there are patentable innovations that come out of all these efforts to try to solve this problem. The intellectual property community is laser focused on finding solutions for COVID-19, rapidly adapting and building on innovations of the past and discovering new solutions so that we can cure the present pandemic and invent our way to a better future. During this time, we're all distance learning. IPOEF offers their online curriculum for free. To access all intellectual property learning resources, visit their website at www.ipoef.org forward slash curriculum. This episode of Stroke of Genius is sponsored by IBM. Let's expect more from technology. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com to learn more.